Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. Last night, a number of people sent me this new article from Gizmodo. Headline is, Scientists Build Atomic Clocks Accurate Enough to Measure Changes in Space-Time Itself. You know, that piques my interest. This is by Ryan F. Mandelbaum, and I'm just going to read some of this for you. Physicists have created atomic clocks so precise that they can measure deformations in space-time itself, according to new research. We don't all experience time passing equally. Time passes more slowly closer to something massive's gravitational pull, as famously theorized by Albert Einstein. And since gravity is typically interpreted as the way mass warps space itself, that means a precise enough atomic clock could serve as a scientific tool for measuring how objects change the shape of their surrounding space. Quote, We've reported measurements of two clocks that in principle exceed our ability to account for this effect across the surface of the Earth, end quote. That's from Andrew Ludlow, who is a physicist at the National Institute of Standards and Technology in Boulder, Colorado. Um, interestingly enough, I mentioned that I have a couple of trips coming up to do some TV shoots, and the one in January is supposed to be in Boulder, Colorado. So who knows? Maybe I'll have to uh, see if I can squeeze in a visit there to the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Anyway, getting back to this article, it says uh, clocks are merely tools that measure how time passes by counting a repeating thing, be it a swinging pendulum or a vibrating atom. Optical lattice clocks, like the ones used in this study, work the same way, but not quite so simply. Scientists first use lasers to set up an atom-trapping field shaped like a row of cups. Thousands of ytterbium atoms populate the cups, and if struck with a laser of exactly the right frequency, the electrons will jump between two energy levels an exact number of times per second. And from here, this article gets into even more really heavy technical detail. I will spare you that because you can, if you're interested, find this article and read it for yourself. I've posted it on my uh, Twitter page. But uh, I do want to uh, give you a little more info from this article. Uh, It says here, characterizing the clocks this well meant that the ytterbium clocks could detect how Earth's gravity had slowed time, accurately determining their location in the Earth's gravitational field to within a centimeter. Now, that's a very interesting point, which I'll get back to in a moment. Article continues to say, Ludlow explained that the team hasn't compared the clocks in two separate locations yet. A test like that would reveal the higher altitude clock ticking faster, since the pull of Earth's gravity on an object actually decreases slightly, as the object moves higher in altitude. Uh, This is just the latest result from efforts around the world to create the best ever atomic clock, but it's a fantastic development, said Andre Derevianco, a theoretical physicist at the University of Nevada, Reno. Um, Goes on to say, uh, physicists have 
ideas for how to use them, but especially when it comes to hunting for dark matter, stuff that our eyes and telescopes can't directly see, but which seems to exert some force of gravity throughout the universe. Perhaps these clocks could detect dark matter from the way its gravity alters space-time. Maybe they can even detect ripples in space-time called gravitational waves, or maybe it's time to move atomic clocks into space where they're less affected by local differences in the Earth's gravity. Okay, uh, that's all I'll read from this article, but this should make it pretty clear to you. All right, we're talking about um, something very similar, really, to the DT meter that I used earlier this year, the device that was invented by Ronald Heath, the differential time rate meter that takes essentially a kind of clock, you know, two different electronic components that should be perfectly synced up and is comparing whether they stay synced up or not uh, over a distance of 100 feet. Uh, And of course, in order to get some anomaly over a uh, a distance of 100 feet is a pretty significant change uh, in the flow of space-time according to our current model of how all that works. And um, that particular sentence uh, here where it says um, that basically this clock can determine its location within the Earth's gravitational field to within a centimeter, I mean, that is, that's mind-boggling because we're talking about the idea that you know, there is this mysterious thing around planet Earth. You can envision it in your mind. You've seen it illustrated. But you can't directly look at it and, and experience it like you can, you know, some other forces of nature. Even the wind. The wind is invisible, but you can feel it. This is not something that you can usually feel, but it is, it is a force that is all around the Earth. And to think that they uh, are now acknowledging that we have a clock that is so sensitive that you can immerse it anywhere within this quote-unquote field, this formation of space-time, and the clock, it, it will be affected to such an extent you can tell exactly where it is immersed within this gigantic field right down to a centimeter. I mean, that is, that's huge. And it shows you exactly what I was saying earlier in the year when I was having all these discussions about the anomaly that I captured north of Las Vegas. You know, I was saying to folks, well, we have this DT meter, which is essentially, you know, like I say, it's a kind of clock that's similar to this, that is comparing two points and time, which they haven't even done yet, apparently, with this particular clock, according to this article. And um, and most of the time, you don't have a difference. I mean, I've only picked up this anomaly once so far. I've tested it uh, on a number of occasions in Nevada. I've tested it in California. Only one time so far have I picked up an anomaly. And, of course, my work is going to continue, and I'm going to be doing many, many more um, measurements. This year, I've had to travel 
a lot more than I thought I was going to, and so that has um, impeded my ability to some degree to get out and take as many measurements and samples as I planned. But when I came out earlier this year with this finding that, hey, I used this meter and I picked up this anomaly, and oh, by the way, where I got this just so happens to be one of the most substantial UFO hotspots in the entire region, if not state, where amazing footage of UFOs has been filmed and people have had close encounters. Uh, you know, and you can watch the videos that I've put together uh, on this stuff at joshuapwarren.com. But when I came out and I started talking about this, yeah, it blew up all over the place and I, I got worldwide media coverage, which was wonderful. But there was also this huge wave of criticism that came in directed toward me saying that this was some kind of an outrageous claim. And, of course, my response to that was like, well, actually, it's not that big of a stretch. I mean, it is well known among established physics that we have this thing called space-time, that it is inconsistent, and that um, it is also inconsistent around planet Earth. I mean, you know, NASA long ago was able to demonstrate that, which is why you can go on Google to this day and type in NASA gravity map, and you'll see these color-coded maps that show you how inconsistent the Earth's gravitational field is. And so gravity affects space-time, so guess what? If you have an inconsistent gravitational field, well, that means you have an inconsistent space-time curvature around your planet. Not to mention the fact that Earth is not just sitting there still in the cosmos. No, it's quite the opposite. Not only is Earth whizzing through space, twirling and whizzing through space, but uh, it's full of liquid that's sloshing around. You know, I'm talking about molten lava, you know, and all this stuff is sloshing and it's changing the densities of what's what's within the Earth at any given point and and so i mean it's a it's a very active dynamic system so it should not at all be surprising that if you have some kind of a sensitive tool that can detect time that occasionally you're going to find a spot where time is warped at a more distinct level than at other places and so an article like this, I believe, goes a long way toward reinforcing what I was talking about earlier this year regarding the anomaly in North, in North Vegas that uh, you know I called the Vegas Interstate Time Anomaly, or VISTA. Most people in the media just called it the Time Anomaly. And so I want to, once again, go on the record here by telling you that what I have been saying about space-time and how that space-time is so flexible even in even in places and under circumstances where you wouldn't expect it to be and how that you can even interact with that on a personal level maybe it's something that you experience as deja vu where you just you know slip back a second and you're like oh what was that you know what I've been saying about this 
from the perspective of a paranormal investigator, a paranormal guy, is going to, I believe, very soon work its way into the normal mainstream physics and the scientific community. And at that point, everybody will forget about, oh, you know, the paranormal guy and the paranormal research, because then it will have transitioned from paranormal into normal. And so this is another example of how that can happen. But, uh, but again, I believe that what I found here using Ronald Heath's differential time rate meter is connected to this article, what they're doing in Boulder, and what I think will very quickly accelerate in this field and give us a a huge eye-opening revelation about the way that uh, space-time wavers and, and ripples around this planet and how that that not only affects our technology but also our personal human experiences including sometimes these experiences that we otherwise describe as paranormal strange things weird things it affects the brain the brain is a very sensitive device it's got tiny tiny subatomic particles bouncing around inside of it and you're connected to those things and those things are affected by space-time anomalies as well so hopefully you find this all as interesting as I do but that said uh, if you don't know exactly what I'm talking about like I say go to joshuapwarren.com click the link to uh, the gallery of the strange and you can read about the Vegas interstate time anomaly and, and watch videos I produced listen to me talk about this more and you'll see how this all relates While you're there, I hope that you'll also visit the Curiosity Shop. If you want something really exotic and really cool to give someone as a gift this season, you really want to impress somebody, instead of just buying something off of eBay or Amazon or going to Walmart, buy something truly unique. I'm running short on all my supplies, but I've still got, you know, and some of them are sold out. But if you go to the Curiosity Shop there at joshuapwarren.com, you'll find some truly unique stuff. And you'll also find a link to this podcast. This podcast is called Joshua P. Warren Daily because I try to leave one for you every day. It's always short. It's always free. If you click the link to this podcast, you can subscribe through various methods. Or just follow me on Twitter, at Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren. And I will tweet when a new one is available. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.